0: Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you today?
1: Doing well, Sean. Doing well. How are you, buddy?
0: Doing well. 19 days till Kentucky football kicks off the season. Kentucky basketball just wrapped up a 4-0 perfect record in the Bahamas. We're going to talk a little bit about that in the back half of today's show, but we're going to open this one With Kentucky football ranked in the AP poll to enter the season for the first time since 1978, Derek, Mark Stoops' Wildcats check in at number 20. The only team on their schedule ranked ahead of them is Georgia at number three.
1: Hard to believe, huh? Um, Pretty cool. I mean, I know at the end of the day, um, the preseason rankings don't mean much. We've seen Kentucky in past years – you know, not start in the preseason top 25 yet, get there pretty quickly, 2018 and 2021 in particular. Had the weird COVID year there in 2020 where a lot of the teams weren't playing, and Kentucky snuck in for that first week uh, when they played Auburn. But, yeah, going to go into a season when they play Miami-Ohio. Uh, you said what? Nine, how, how long is it? 19 days, you said?
0: 19 days away today.
1: Well, that's great. So, 19 days from now when you turn on the SEC network, uh, you know, you're going to see a 20 next to Kentucky's name to start a season and that's it's pretty awesome first Thompson 78 so um the fact that like you said I mean they don't George is the only team right higher than them right on the schedule I know Ole Miss is right around there um and there's a couple other teams that were really close to getting I think Tennessee was 26 so a couple other opponents that voters think are kind of knocking on the door right there um but really it's uh it is something to sell in my opinion if you're Kentucky's coaching staff. I think I saw Adam Luckett tweet that Kentucky's not started and finished the season in the AP top 25 since Bear Bryant. So if they are to finish this season ranked, it's it's one of those deals where um, throughout the course of the season most likely you can say you were one of the top 25 teams and for some programs that doesn't mean anything, but I think for Kentucky it does.
0: Yeah, and and think about this. So that road trip to Florida on September 10th, so the second game of the year, let's let's just go ahead and assume Kentucky gets a win in week one. Maybe if they lose that, people's going to find this audio clip and probably hammer me for it. But Kentucky will be the ranked team in that matchup, and Florida receiving votes. They uh, received 14 votes, but they're going to be – I mean, obviously, if they beat – if they win their opener, there's a good chance they'd break into the top 25. But you could have Kentucky being the only ranked team in that matchup when, uh, when they play in the Swamp, and that's something years ago I never thought I'd say.
1: No, yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't know what the betting line will be. Uh, I think the original ones that came out, Kentucky was a small underdog going down there, but um, yeah, if you're Florida, though, man, what are you thinking? Like, <laughs> your first two games, at least you get them at home, but they're both going to be against top 25 teams. Pretty crazy uh, how that worked out for Florida. I can't remember the year that they scheduled that Utah game. I want to say Utah was already a pretty well-known, like, good football school, though, by the time that, that game had happened, but it just so happened that open the season against those guys then you kind of go back to the traditional early season game against Kentucky in the swamp and uh, back-to-back weeks of playing a ranked opponent two veteran teams too in a lot of ways
0: Florida would be number 38 in the country right now depending on like where they're receiving votes they'd be tied with Kansas State so I guess 37th in the country so let's just let's talk about this for a minute now so this is a program Derek that They've been able to play with the chip on their shoulder entering every football season to either someone disrespecting them or they're they're not, they're not being ranked where they're, where they feel they should be ranked or based on win loss predictions. This year, the only kind of fuel that I feel like Mark Stoops has is John Calipari kind of giving him a little bit (laughs) last week. So if you're Mark Stoops, how do you, do you approach this any differently than you have, or is this, is this a good time to have a veteran team that is kind of, maybe zoning out some of these uh, this positive news about your program and kind of keying in on what they want to achieve on the field.
1: Well, I just think at a certain point, they had to reach a point where, you know, eventually if you kept winning and and recruiting the way they have, like you're going to have some preseason expectations. And uh, at, at a point, will you ever have get the nod in the preseason consistently over some other teams in your division? Like, I just saw Bud Elliott tweet like he's irate that uh, Tennessee is not ranked and Kentucky is. You know, like there's always going to be a little bit of bias, I think, amongst people that think Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, or so-and-so are always going to be ranked ahead. So maybe that will push UK down in some years in the preseason rankings. But this year in particular, like there's a lot there. And I do think it is a different year in terms of expectations because – I think it was the Athlon, maybe. I don't know if you saw it. It was like the Athlon. um, It's when they always do their anonymous coaching survey or whatever. And one of the coaches quoted was basically saying that, like, they're starting to reach a dangerous – Kentucky, that is, is starting to reach a dangerous kind of level, Stoops is where will the expectations outgrow what can realistically be done in Lexington? And I don't think this year in particular is that case because I do think this team could be quite good – and still get back to nine wins again, which is kind of where I'm, I'm putting the – to me, a nine-and-three – I don't know about you, but, like, to me, nine-and-three would be another great season, in my right. opinion. Uh, I think they can hit that this year. Um, but it will be interesting because this is the first year that you would say that, like, you got picked to finish second in the East by the league media. You're, you're starting a season in the top 25. If you do drop a couple of games here or there that maybe you shouldn't have or didn't expect to and you do go seven and five, like, how does that narrative flip – moving forward is this like going to be a, a one-time thing for voters or they're like all right Stoops has been there nine years they've been really solid the last few years we're finally going to give them the nod over a couple other teams like I thought Tennessee was going to get picked ahead of them didn't you and then, I did I honestly so,
0: did and then you see Tennessee on the outside of the top 25 to so to start the year too so
1: now it's been a lot of years where Kentucky and I, I mean I, I was trying to think actually when I was uh before we got on here, like were there other years that Kentucky really deserved to be a preseason top 25 team? I would have said like 2020 probably. Uh, yeah. And it would have been a little different, but they were coming off a, a pretty good season after losing their quarterbacks and Lynn kind of carried them. And they had a lot coming back on both sides. So I felt like that was the year, but it was so odd with, without how COVID worked out like 2018. No, when I thought that they would be a, a preseason ranked team, they were seven and six the year before. And had some had to change quarterbacks. You know, Steven had graduated. And then going into last year, felt like the team could be pretty good. Felt like they had a lot of good pieces. But again, a unknown quarterback, top receiver wasn't here the year before. I understand why they weren't ranked this year. I felt like they deserved to be ranked in the preseason, but now it's kind of time to, I think, to show people why they were picked there. And, and I think they certainly can. I, I think if we'll Levis, will Levis hits, I mean they could be a non-10-win team, no doubt about it.
0: And let's let's talk about the rest of the AP poll here. And specifically to me, I want to start with Ole Miss at twenty-one. That's a team that's on Kentucky's schedule. We've already labeled that a swing game on our preseason predictions because it could it's it's one of those that if Ole Miss wins it it sets them up, and if Kentucky wins it sets them up. But then you dip down into the others receiving votes, Derek. And this is where the key to Kentucky's schedule is. It's Tennessee right now, just outside the top twenty-five at twenty-six. And then you got a couple of teams there too in Mississippi State and Florida and then even South Carolina receiving a couple of votes. To me, that's where Kentucky's season lies when it comes to that success that we're talking about another nine-10 win season. It's you have to beat those teams.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think we talked about it in our season previews, where like I see a very real scenario with the schedule that they can go eight and four and not really have any eye-opening wins or eye-opening losses but the more I've thought about that I really it's just really hard for me to think if Will Levis is healthy you know there's no major injuries things like that I just really don't think they're gonna lose every single key road game like I don't think they're gonna go and three at Ole Miss at Florida and at uh, Tennessee Likewise, like is the margin that large for Kentucky that it can play fairly bad against South Carolina or Mississippi state at home and still win? Probably not. Like I could see them losing one of those games. Like I said, in the preseason one, I would be much more worried about Mississippi state, but you're right. I mean, Georgia is going to be one, no matter what, no matter when you play it, it's going to be really difficult to win that game. And then, I think the the matter of if you're able to really take this thing back over the top, you're going to have to win. I mean, it would be great to win at Tennessee and at Florida um, because I think I said it in the last one too, like I've really talked myself into them winning at Ole Miss. I just, I think they will. <laughs> so if they can get that one, and then you find a, a way to get another one, take care of business at home and all those games outside of uh, Georgia. And you, I mean, you, you can kind of find a way to get the 10 wins right there.
0: Yeah, you. I agree. You get, they have a great opportunity. Uh, some big games there in the early part of the schedule, those two SEC games at Florida, at Ole Miss, those are huge games that set Kentucky up. Derek, anything you want to add to the football side before we transition to kind of a, bah- a Bahamas recap?
1: Uh, just that I, I've kind of consumed a lot of uh, like the Cover 3 podcast. I listen to their over and under uh, – I just don't know, Sean, like the national media or some of these guys. And again, I say, I try to say this every single year, just from someone who, when I worked for the Catspaws, like having to write about every other SEC team and a couple of the other opponents UK played. Like it is really difficult to know the ins and outs of every single team. I don't expect any kind of national media guy to really be that informed on all 65 power, power five teams or whatever. But I just don't feel like people are asking the right kind of questions though. With Kentucky, and it's like such surface level stuff about like, well, Wondell's gone, so uh, who's Will Levis? one that good last year, anyway. So who's he gonna who's he gonna throw to this year? And it's just like no kind of knowledge at all. So a couple of things I wanted to say, um, and if you are betting for for Kentucky this season, like by by no means uh, take what I say to the bank, but like I, I think just national media it's it's really weird sean because like you see them rank top 25 and then you see them pick second but then you got like some people who just like pick them to go six and six or seven and five it's very odd it's a very odd spot for kentucky to be in but i think uh the really positive things with this team and if you're really trying to talk yourself into uk like the way i would probably frame it regardless of what you think about will levis as a potential you know number one pick or first-round quarterback like i think we can all agree he's going to be a draft pick so it's for the first time in the Stoops area, you have a quarterback coming back who uh, is going to get drafted. You have the potential all-time leading rusher in school history at running back, depending on how many games Chris Rodriguez plays this season. Wide receiver, I understand, some hesitancy just because Wondell is gone. But, I I mean, that's where the recruiting shows up. You're probably going to have two guys starting by midseason, at least, that are true freshmen in Dan Key and bearing on Brown. Plus, Tavion Robinson, I feel like he's been undersold by a lot of people. Because Wondell. Wondell was a big name and he had done a lot of good things at Nebraska, but he had never you know, been a full-time wide receiver. The way that people talk about Wandale postseason was not the same as what they talked about him preseason. We all knew he was going to be a good playmaker. I don't think anyone predicted that his target share was going to be what it was uh, at UK, whereas Tavion is a true wide receiver. He's played the position for three years and was a four-star recruit as well out of high school. I would say probably the deepest tight end room they've had. Would you agree? Like, I think so. A lot of guys there who can play. Defensive line is the one that I think is probably being undersold a little bit. And Deion Walker's, you know, emergence is, is pretty, a pretty big deal um, because that's the one area where they have won a lot of recruiting battles over the years, and those guys are starting to get older now. And uh, if Justin Rogers makes a jump, if Octavius Oxnine comes back healthy, if Deion Walker at 6'6", 330 is moving and stoops the way he's talking about him, like that could be the unit that a lot of these people in the preseason have kind of overlooked and been like, ah, well, Josh pascal has gone. Marquand McCall did a lot for them. So what's going to happen now that those guys are gone? Like that group could be better. Linebackers, you're deep. uh, Two super seniors in the middle, plus the highest ranked kid or one of the highest ranked kids on your roster is a backup in Trevin Wallace. Like the secondary would concern me a little bit, but like Sean, this team is legitimately like good. Like I think across the board, it doesn't mean they'll win more. I think this is a better team than last year's team.
0: Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Uh, Certainly. Agree with that. And, you know, you saw the highlight video from Saturday scrimmage and you see guys like a Barry and Brown showing some speed and, and making plays. You see a lot of young guys making plays, but Eric, that covers everything on the football side. So let's transition over to a basketball recap here. Kentucky goes 4-0 in the Bahamas. Not sure how much of it you got to watch. I know you did get to catch uh, some of the games. They were impressive. I know the level of competition wasn't what it's going to be when they get into December, January, and February. But for where they are in August with all the new faces, I mean, yeah, they have guys coming back, but there's still some new guys out there specifically and Antonio Reeves that we will get to. What are your just initial thoughts from a 4-0 trip in the Bahamas?
1: Yeah, speaking of Antonio Reeves, uh, I think I texted you yesterday. I got to watch some of it. I was moving over the weekend. Um, Got to watch most on Saturday night and some yesterday. Um, Man, he can fill it up in a hurry, huh? Whenever he got hot. It was four straight threes there in the second half. I mean. uh, Like a microwave. Yeah. And like I said on on Twitter, like, he just got one of those shots that every time it goes up, it just you feel good about it. He's got a pretty jumper. Yeah. I know Damian Collins did a lot of freak things. I mean, it's a good team. Like, it's it's solid. It's one of the unfortunate things about what happened with uh, Cal and Stoops and Mitch and all these guys just talking in the media and everything. It's because it took away from uh, what was really an impressive trip for Cal's basketball team. Uh, always a little tricky in terms of how to evaluate these things, like you said. I mean, well, I don't know if you saw on Twitter the, uh, the team from Canada, I forget the name of it, like – that's apparently a pretty solid team amongst its division and had not really been blown out much at all, even against uh, teams from America over the last few years and UK beat them by like 60 or whatever it was. That was pretty impressive. And they just, they were, how many threes did they hit that game?
0: 15 of 30, I believe.
1: Yes. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, and then, you know, they came back the next day, didn't shoot it as well, but that's going to happen sometimes. Um, That's impressive to me. I I, really, you can go up and down Sean and, and talk about everybody. I know, uh, Tiro was a guy probably that some of us wanted to see but I would say probably outperformed my own expectations not not sure what my expectations were though, <laughs> really in the first place for him going in there, but he looked like he belonged, probably more than anything is what I was wanting to see. Um you could go up and down that roster and look at guys who did good things. So, And, and you texted me yesterday and, and explained to our listeners why you wanted this. You texted me around probably five, ten minutes into the game yesterday and said, I hope that this is close for a little while. Why did you hope that?
0: Because I wanted to see who would be the guys that would step up and kind of separate it, like an Antonio Reeves uh, coming in and making big shots in the second half. Jacob Toppin got going and finally started making some plays. That's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see some fight. I wanted to see some – kind of some resistance and some things and some pushback for some other teams because I wanted to see when it's not easy, who's the guys that step up. And I think that we got some answers yesterday uh, down the stretch there a little bit. And obviously Kentucky's talent kind of took over at some point, but you, you saw the the legs, Oscar Shibwe making some mistakes. There was one, uh, one play where he didn't post up, Derek, and that's very rare to not see Oscar post hard. And the defender was able to deflect the ball away, but, I'm this guy – I mean, I said it last year on this show too. How many times did I say, I hope this is a close game? And everybody's probably like, why are you saying that? God, who wants a close <laughs> game? Like, Because I think it's the basketball coach in me that I think you get things answered, you get questions answered when you get to see, okay, we're in a scenario here where we're down eight. It's that middle part of the game here, that, that key four minutes of the – last four minutes of the first half, first three or four minutes of the second half. Who are our guys? What's a lineup here that we can kind of separate with, maybe make up some ground, cut into that deficit, and then kind of start on a spurt to begin the second half? And and I think Antonio Reeves, uh, I think he was significant in what Kentucky did, especially in the second half. Uh, I thought Xavier Wheeler was excellent in the final three games of the weekend. I know the first game against the Dominican Republic, I thought he struggled, and his numbers definitely show that. But I think being a point guard, it's the most difficult spot on the floor To blend when there's new people and sure they've been on campus since june like he's familiar with antonio reeves he's familiar with uh case and wallace and chris livingston by now when it comes to running up and down the floor in practice but when it gets into game mode and you're doing it against five faces that you do not know i think that they're still learning tendencies and i think that that's why you saw the point guard struggle a little bit in, in game one but you saw him come back game two three and four his numbers were outstanding
1: yeah, I mean, that was kind of the thing about this year is like we talked about going into this week, just having all the familiar faces. I mean, Toppin, he really wowed me at times. I think it was that game on Saturday. Uh, he was, what, he started eight for eight? Or, he had that weird thing where he like, did he eventually get a missed dunk counted against him? I think might have ruined his perfect shooting day at, at a certain point. But now those teams did not have kind of the athletic ability to match him. So he was probably doing some things a little easier against those guys that he won't be able to do against higher-level competition. But he just changes things to me, Sean. If if that three-point jumper is real and you have to go out and contest him from that far out, and then he's got the ability to kind of get by you, and he's just kind of turning into a a bit of a complete player, I think. And that's really exciting to see. Collins was, was similar. Just, I mean, his athletic ability is unreal it's an exciting team it really is I mean I'm excited to see what these guys look like when it gets down to uh November or or I guess October when big blue madness gets back and they have a couple of those blue white scrimmages and uh and things like that but it's gonna be uh if there are five teams flat out better than Kentucky at this point I'd be surprised honestly
0: yeah uh, I'm with you and when you're talking about Jacob Toppin the thing that I liked most was the times that he became a a scorer off of two feet with his size, six, nine, his athleticism. He needs to be one of the better two foot scorers in college basketball in the sec. I don't want to see him going off one foot there. He's so big and strong that if he just goes up off two feet, he's his athleticism still going to cover the ground that he needs to cover. If he's not dunking the basketball, I want him to be a two foot scorer instead of a one foot scorer. And there were times yesterday that he hit some big-time buckets. I know there in the first half he had a couple back-to-back that kind of got Kentucky going. That's what I want to see out of him. And and to me, he's going to be one of those glue guys that Andy Katz, Seth Greenberg, John Rothstein, all the national media guys, when it gets up to about, what, three or four weeks before the season, they'll release their glue guys in college basketball, Mm -hmm. their stars. Jacob Toppin deserves to be on the list of glue guys because he's going to have his hand in so many different areas for Kentucky. He can defend one through four maybe even can slide and defend some five with that length and athleticism. He's now showing the ability to shoot the ball, score the ball. He can make plays above the rim. He can run the floor in transition. Those are your glue guys to me guys that can do and affect the game in so many different ways. That's what makes them a glue guy.
1: Yeah. You're right about the kind of that one handed or one footed runner that Toppin does sometimes like it seems to work for him though, more than I would think. Uh, he, I, I don't know if I've ever made this comparison here or not. He like, he reminded me of a smaller, like Javel McGee in a way, at, at least early, like maybe that first year at Kentucky, because like he has gotten a lot better, I think. Because like that first year, you could just see like a, a phenomenal kind of raw athlete that wasn't always the most polished basketball player. And I think he's really improved on that a lot. Did you have any takeaways with this handle? I was trying to watch that pretty close. He didn't seem a whole lot different to me in that area.
0: No, not not a whole lot, and I think that that's something that definitely he needs to continue working on, but you're talking about that, that one-footed runner that he shoots, and yeah, he has success with it, but the difference to me, going off of one foot and two foot gets you three points instead of two points. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, if you're going off two feet, you're going to have a good chance of hitting that and getting to the free throw line and adding the free throw. Going off one foot, maybe you get fouled, you hit two free throws, and you're not as strong finishing the basketball. That's the adjustments that I want to see made. I want to see these guys, they're so big, they're so athletic. How about Damian Collins? I mean, Anthony Davis covered ground with alley-oops at Kentucky that I – I mean, the one in the NCAA tournament, I believe it was against Western Kentucky, where he got it behind the backboard. (laughs) Damian Collins has that same range and length, and I'm convinced that you don't throw it at the rim, you just throw it at the shot clock and he'll go get it.
1: So now that we have seen this team, and again, like, I don't want you to – I don't think either of us are doing this because we've seen the Bahamas in the past, like, the 2015 team lost a game, right? I think their last game down there. They did. Yep. And then they won 38 straight. They were, you know, very good. And then last year – or the last time they went down there, they beat everybody and then lost by 40 or whatever by Duke in the first game. But seeing the team at least play, though, play together, they did well. Obviously a very successful tour. Where do you see? Two questions: any weaknesses that maybe you're a little worried about how they might be addressed, and then two: where do you think Onion uh, Cell fits into this thing moving forward?
0: Oh man, it's a good question about the weaknesses because the, the thing is is you didn't really get to see those exposed with with who they were playing uh, over the weekend. To, to me, my my only concern is flow and rhythm when the season starts. Uh, And and that's not even a situation that's in the hands of the players. And I know John Calipari has been excellent with this at Kentucky, with getting guys to buy in, establishing a rhythm, having people sacrifice. He's said multiple times he's not going to platoon again. How does he keep everyone happy? Does it, can I label that a weakness? Because I just don't know how these guys are going to respond. Because they have a lot of guys there that you knew going into this tour that Oscar Shebway was going to play fewer minutes than what he does in the regular season. There's no use to get into in those legs. We know who Oscar is. Same thing for for Wheeler. Uh, where does Livingston and Toppin, What what spots do they do they play? Is it three for Livingston? Is it four for Topping? things like that. I think that's my only thing, and it's not really a weakness. It's more of a, just a concern that I just want to know how John Calipari is going to juggle this. If he's not going to platoon, it certainly feels like that there's nine guys that for sure need to play minutes on this team, and then how do you juggle that? I think that would be my one concern, but he's the best at it, so I'll leave it up to him. But then on the, the other side, with how Uganda fits, I don't expect him to play unless there's an injury to Oscar Sheboy. That's the only way I think he plays.
1: So you'd see a red shirt coming?
0: Yes, I see a red shirt coming, and I see him being uh, considered a freshman along with Reed Shepard, Rob Dillingham, Justin Edwards, and then whoever else they add in that class. I, I already kind of chalk it up that they have their big for 2023 is how I would look at it. I just don't think if, if like, Lance gets hurt or Damon gets hurt or misses a game or two or three or something happens uh, that we don't see coming, I still think that they would just buy it with Toppin at the four – maybe even slide Livingston at the four and, and, and do some different things there. I, I don't really think that they're going to use that year unless something happens to Oscar and then they have to have that size and length on the floor.
1: Yeah. I mean, watching them play down there, it does feel like they probably have enough to make it work, but they would get pretty thin I think with a uh, one key injury. You know, we're talking about an injury that's more than like three games, you know, something like yeah, that, it, something that substantial amount of time and, where.
0: And uh, I will add this with, uh, I think that was the biggest question I had answered the entire weekend, is I was concerned about their depth at guard if they had an injury. So, if something happened and C.J. Frederick misses a couple of games with a nagging injury or, or something happens to Savir Wheeler, because we've seen that happen a couple of times. He actually got hurt in game one down in the Bahamas. I kept wondering, do they have enough in the backcourt to get them by? Because at times last year, you saw that backcourt wear down. The injuries to Tata, Savir, Kellen Grady's foot. I mean, everything – uh, just kind of unraveled there. Adu Thierro being a reliable option, even if it's just a spot spot minutes a game here or there. You know, Dante Allen would get some opportunities last year at times when guys were hurt and didn't really take advantage of it. I think Adu being able to at least be someone they can rely on and buy some minutes out of answered a ton of questions for me when it comes to depth in the backcourt. I no longer have that concern. And then seeing Chris Livingston, Jacob Topin hitting outside shots, that also kind of settled some of those concerns for me too.
1: Last thing I have for you, you have any starting five predictions?
0: I do. I don't know if you saw that tweet from me yesterday or not, but my starting five on opening night would be Savir Wheeler, Kaysen Wallace, Antonio Reeves, Jacob Toppin, and Oscar Shiboy. That is how I think that it will go. Now, I could also see John Calipari bringing Reeves off the bench as instant offense. But when you have a guy that shoots the ball like that and he's a three-level scorer, if he gets to the – just to a capable defender, a guy that's not going to kill you on that in the floor, I think he's a 25, 26-minute-a-game guy.
1: I, I kind of think he's going to start him off as instant offense off the bench. Yeah. I, I bet Livingston starts. And, and, and I'm
0: okay with that, too. Like, I'm, I'm fine with that as well. Uh, you're you're going to have lineups where Livingston and Toppin are on the floor together. And, and I'm okay with it. I know going into the Bahamas we all talked and we were kind of wondering, okay, does this make sense? Well, then you see the way that those two shot the basketball and you're like, okay, you can do that with those guys now. Uh, Case and Wallace I pencil in as an instant starter. I think that you go Xavier Wheeler for sure. And there's a lot of people that was that it, when I tell them that lineup, they would probably remove Wheeler. They'd probably put Wallace at the one and then Reeves at the two with Livingston at the three, Topping at the four, and Sheboy at the five. I'm telling you, Savier Wheeler gets a lot of hate. and a, I don't want to say hate, but maybe just a lot of people kind of questioning his value. I just don't think Kentucky reaches its peak without Savier Wheeler doing the things that Savier Wheeler does. Now what you have, though, is you have a luxury of a guard in Cason Wallace that I think late in games, last year Tata was not 100%. We did not get to see it down the stretch in the NCAA tournament. If Wheeler starts to struggle, you now have a guy that you can put in, move him on the ball, that I think is going to be able to get to his spots on the floor anytime he wants and run the show in Case and Wallace, and I think that's an upgrade. What
1: do you think about a lineup of Wallace, Reeves, Frederick out there in the backcourt? How much do you think we might see that?
0: Wallace, Reeves, and Frederick?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think you're going to see it. And you're, you're talking about a lineup that can shoot the basketball. I mean, Cason Wallace wow. has good form. When his feet are set, it looks good out of his hands. Uh, you could slide Toppin, Livingston there at the four. And, I mean, you got a lineup that can shoot the basketball. I do think you will see that some. The thing that I like about the lineup with Wheeler and Wallace together is I think you have the best on-ball defensive backcourt in the SEC and possibly in college basketball with those two on the, on the ball. And then you got the length three through four and five in the passing lanes. This has the makings of being an elite defensive team, Derek, and that's where I'm talking about. To me, Antonio Reeves being a three-level scorer, we knew that coming in. He answered that. If he'll use that 6'6 frame and athleticism and length on the defensive end, he's a complete basketball player, and I think he plays a ton of minutes for this team.
1: Well, one of the reasons I like, and I'm I'm a big Reeves fan, I mean, I probably like everybody else, I kind of felt like he – we knew he needed to be a scoring kind of – option for this team. That's that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's like why he was bright here um was to be a scorer. But Livingston just seems like the kind of got to me that he just I think he does a lot of things, uh things to help a team win. Like I think when he's in, I think if you have him with Topping and way and I know Oscar gobbles up so many rebounds, but I think Livingston's gonna be a really strong rebounder. And if you have those three on the court, I think your your team's much better in that regard. And then defensively, I mean he he looks very strong to me in terms of like when he's out there. And then again, maybe it's We'll see how it is, but I I, I would not be upset either way um, if they go Livingston or Reeves. There's no doubt Reeves is the more advanced offensive player, but I do wonder with how Cal has kind of been in the past, do you think Livingston might do more things overall well than Antonio? And if he do, then my guess would be Cal will at least give Livingston the chance to start early and then maybe make adjustments as, as time goes on. And maybe I'm I'm wrong. Maybe I'm uh, undervaluing Antonio's all-around game and maybe overvaluing uh, a guy who hasn't really played yet in uh, Livingston. Well, Livingston
0: has the more, like, if if we're talking upside and potential when it comes to the NBA and, and pro potential, I would assume that Livingston would show up on draft boards before Antonio Reeves would. One, his age, and two, where he was ranked coming out of high school. We know that those things help his body all those things that he does. But I could see the year starting out, though, with Reeves coming off the bench and just being that instant offense guy that can hit a shot off the bench and uh, and, and kind of get you going, especially if you start the game slowly. Like, let's say Kentucky's an elite defensive team. They're struggling to get a couple of buckets, and they put Reeves in, and the next thing you know, uh, the dam breaks, and there's there's threes flying in everywhere, and Kentucky's starting to separate itself against an opponent in that second media timeout or in the third media timeout of the first half. The thing with Livingston, though, and, and I go back, and, and right now, the thing that come out of this weekend, from, and, and I, I'm kind of standing on this front now, Derek, is I'm not going to label him a three or a four. I think it's unfair to label him, and I know we talked all spring, is he a three, is he going to play the four, is Cal going to let him do some small ball four? I don't even think we should give him a position. I think just get him on the floor, let him play. He plays with his uh, – not with his back to the basket. He's going to face the basket a ton. He's going to grab rebounds and go. The way Terrence Jones used to grab rebounds and lead the break. The way Julius Randle used to grab a rebound, lead the break. Chris Livingston can do that exact thing. He's elite in transition getting downhill with his size. You've seen him be able to hit the three-point shot. You've also seen him be able to dish it out and set someone else up for a basket. That's why I don't want to label him a position. I want to go back to John Calipari's positionless basketball phrase that he coined there years ago. I think Chris Livingston kind of fits it. Just get him on the floor and say, look, you're this, let's just play. And I think that that's the best thing for him.
1: Like you said, 19 days till football, it's it's coming up. Uh, Hard to believe. I mean, when he said that, I was like, man, it's already under three weeks. So week zero is even shorter, Uh, looking at 13 days or so, or – no 12 12 days oh my goodness that's great uh that it's so <laughs> close and then basketball I mean it'll be here before we know it in October and I know media day will take place early in October mid-October like always um it was fun to have again it, it just it sucks that the attention was kind of taken off of it was less and again I'm I've been very careful not to blame anybody we already talked about it so I mean I don't think we're really gonna dig back into detail on this podcast with a whole another episode dedicated to Mitch and Stoops' presser. Uh we'll just probably let it die down. But it was nice to have a have a few days of basketball mixed in here. But I think probably moving forward. Hopefully we'll get a couple mailbags for both sports, but we'll probably be doing a lot of football for the for the foreseeable future.
0: Yep, and as always, this show is powered by Blue Wire Pods. It's also powered by the Butchers Pub, three locations, Palmville, Williamsburg, and London, Kentucky. You can visit the Butcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily.